Gua sobro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, episode 156. I'm your co-host Alexander Gungi-Rizik, joined as always by Sammy Rowan. And uh, we'll keep the intro short and sweet, uh, just like the Whitecaps. The opening game this weekend, the Vancouver Whitecaps, of course, hosted Real Salt Lake. And things were going oh so great until they were not, and they fell 2-1. to one. Showed some old habits, familiar habits, but also on the flip side, showed some good new signs of growth. So, I mean, what does that mean? What what to make of this opening game performance? What to look forward to is the Whitecaps, of course. Game one of many. Many many great teams have lost the opening game and gone on to great things. Many teams have won the opening game and gone on to terrible things. The first game means nothing, but of course, it's the start of what's to come but speaking of what's to come sam i guess how have you been and uh and, you know how are you looking forward to this one you know i'm really looking forward to it i will say the one thing that resonated with me from opening day was the whitecaps discourse is back people were active people cared people had something to say about how the match went and so i really really enjoyed that i, I miss that feeling of getting into whitecaps football with people and uh, having something to to care about in that respect again. So despite the fact it was a frustrating result, uh, I really liked the the passion that I saw online. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to diving into a lot of these topics today, getting us set for San Jose this upcoming weekend. Uh, It's great to just be back in the match swing of things again. Yeah, I mean, a lot of familiar faces. Great to see a lot of usual suspects around the stadium. Uh, I guess in the press box as well, of course. I mean, crowd was pretty strong considering it was very snowy that day. Rare little bit of a Saturday night snowstorm in Vancouver. That also impacted things like Skytrain shut down momentarily or something like that. So, hey, good little crowd. March looked cool, actually, with the snow and the flares and stuff like that. So, hey, it was a good time overall. It's just one of those where everything but the result and i mean we'll, we'll we'll dive into that as well like statistically a weird game for the white caps um but maybe just to 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 pivot or to to begin somewhere cuz we have to begin we may as well start at the start and i mean the white caps came out of the gates flying that was you know remarkable to see it was something at halftime when i was kind of debriefing and sitting there like who is this white caps team like who did they go and get and put together like this is not the sort of play that we're used to of course new players and all that but they were passing the ball they were breaking lines they were being patient in possession they'd out possessed rsl they'd outshot rsl they'd out xg'd rsl they'd beaten rsl by most key metrics in that first half and there's just so many games where we're used to saying like first halves in particular slow lethargic sloppy uh things just didn't look great and the white caps started great so i mean Sam, I guess just to begin there, what did you make of that start, especially since you maybe watched it back and had that chance to see it with fresh eyes? 
Yeah, I guess it's worth prefacing that, you know, due to my location, I'm watching this on tape delay the morning of. So I do feel like it provides a little bit of a different perspective, right? And I got the chance to hit pause, go back, rewatch something three, four times if it catches my eye. Something that popped out from the first half in a positive sense was, Alex, I think back to the Mark DeSantos days where we were trying to sort of figure out what was wrong with the team, right? And... I think of two stats from back then, those like possession regains and line breaking passes or, you know, progressive passes. And this Whitecaps team used to be completely devoid in both those categories, right? They struggled to like win the ball back and then maintain possession after that moment where they won the ball back. And then they also struggled to make the progressive line breaking passes after those regains. And it felt like during the first half, I mean, huge credit to Julian Gressel, Alessandro Schaaf, and Andres Kubas. They were getting stuck in, and they were just bossing the midfield. And it felt like that kind of midfield-centric style of play that the Whitecaps haven't seen for a long time. There were some real signs of that, especially in the first half when things were going well. It gave freedom for the fullbacks, Javane Brown, Luis Martins, to get involved without any fear. It was... At that point, everything was going the right way. So I think there's obviously something to be harnessed from that and, uh, you know, stuff that they can they can put on film. They're, they're watching this week and they say, yes, you know, I can see Vanny being like, here, this is the way we want to play going forward. This is something we can build on. So there was a lot of that. It's very easy to forget as you move into the second half. All of a sudden, you know, that was lost very quickly. But um, this is a team that clearly has the players and the quality to play that style of football. And man, that's exciting. Like a team that might go 50-50 on possession with other teams in MLS. It's been a long time since that's been the case. And uh, yeah, for that first 35 minutes, I mean, the Whitecaps were in complete control of the match. It really should have been 2 or 3-0. And we can certainly talk about some of the reasons for that as well we'll get into. But uh, that's just something on a, uh, the biggest maybe positive for me was just that the regaining possession, maintaining possession, and uh, lots of penetrating line-breaking passes that we just were not used to seeing in Vancouver, frankly, and, and it only really started to pop up near the end of last season. So nice that that is back. Yeah, I mean, I think the midfield is a good place to start. And just a stat to, to throw out here while I have it open just for reference, like this is to get perspective, the Whitecaps had the third most progressive passes in MLS this weekend after SKC, who had quite the opening game um, on the road against Portland. I mean, they had ended up losing, but obviously went out in the road and put it to Portland and then Atlanta, who also playing the, the Whitecaps next opponent, interesting enough. So this isn't just the Whitecaps maybe looking you know, good or whatever, like the stats show they were progressing the ball, they were holding on to the ball, they were completing their passes. And I think to that, the biggest credit has to go to the midfield three. I think that was the most noticeable difference in upgrade is that most times, most years, it just feels like the Whitecaps are always hanging on in the midfield battle. It feels like even when they're at their best, it's a battle for territory. It's never like, dominance it's okay we're just hanging on we're here to dance we're not really here to control proceedings I think that was the most remarkable thing and something that maybe that kept up for most of the game is that Andres Kubas I mean first of all 
if people are sleeping on Andreas Kubas, because I saw some people around the leagues, you know, some, some, it's very interesting. It's again, it's, it's the number six syndrome. Like some people are on it. Like I saw extra time again, we said rated number Andreas Kubas at top five, six. I think they're almost thinking like, okay, maybe we should bump him up. I also saw other players uh, or other people saying that he is, uh, you know, an average MLS player. And I think he kind of continues to disprove that every time he gets on the field. Like he was dominant. I think, just the amount of ground he covers is huge because he's just everywhere defensively. He's popping up right. He's making tackles on the left. He's sliding in the middle. He's going in for the duel. I don't know how he does it because he's like five six, but he like wraps his legs around tackles and just disrupts things. And what that does is that if you're Julian Gressel and Alessandro Shop, you like to get forward. In particular, Gressel. I mean, he's an attacking-minded player. He always has been. He'll want to drift forward and maybe drift out wide. Shop as well, like someone who the legs are still catching up to him, as we're seeing. Like, he's still getting up to that full speed. It was great for Shop in particular because he was able to push forward and he like he would track back, but he wasn't having to bust back just because he kind of knew Kubas was there. Like, Kubas almost gave his teammates confidence. I think I noticed it in particular with Shop. Like, Shop looked really good on the ball. There was a few sequences where he'd get on the ball and you could see that Bundesliga quality that we're, you know, heard of and promised when, you know, when he came in last year and didn't always see, like, he was turning, he was looking confident, he was playing one-twos, he was really managing and navigating the spaces, and what it meant in the first half was that, you know, very good pairing, in my opinion, of, you know, Brian Ojeda, of course, uh, you know, the former Nottingham Forest midfielder, actually currently on loan, um, threw me off at first, because I was used to seeing Pablo Ruiz in the six, and I was like, is that Pablo Ruiz? Turns out it was Brian Ojeda. Very good pedigree. And then Jasper Lawfelsen, who I always, he looked really good as well, to be fair to him. Um, they pinned that midfield duo down and separated them from Demir Krylak. Demir Krylak was on an island in that first half. And it was just nice to see the Whitecaps control the middle of the park. And to be honest, they continued to control it for most of the game, I'd say. Even the, the goal, the goals weren't coming from the Whitecaps breakdowns in midfield. And I think that's huge because there's too many years where breakdowns are just happening in the middle and that's the worst spot to happen why because turnovers sloppiness it ends up on top of your center back so the fact that they were so dominant in the midfield and that the goals are coming from the flanks is a positive because that's a lot easier to clean up than in the middle so hey we were skeptical maybe a bit about what Gressel and Schopf and Kubas can bring offensively they answered a lot of questions I think personally in that regard just in terms of how they'll progress how they'll control and I think since day one, they've seen, they looked really defensively solid. I think we noted it when they played Hamburg, they looked really good defensively and they've only improved on that, which is immense because the Whitecaps need that badly in the middle of the park. Yeah, I was going to say, Alex, we uh, spend too much time together chatting Whitecaps because that's exactly where I was going to go is I think this entire preseason, right? Looking back at the highlights, looking back at the matches we've been able to watch, continuing through opening day, I don't think they've allowed a single goal that was really generated through the midfield. It's all been set pieces, stuff from wide areas, defensive miscues, but never have they just been run through the midfield and off the other team goes to, you know, score an easy goal. That that has not been something that this midfield three has allowed. And I guess just to pick up on some of your individual points, totally agree with like I liked a lot more of what I saw from Alessandro Schopf in this match than I did last season. I still just, there's this sneaking little suspicion. You watch him run, and it's just like, ah, something looks a little gingerly, a little awkward. I, I don't know if that's just his style or if there's still something niggling him. He just does, it doesn't look fluid to me. And, and so 
I think that's just something to track the rest of the year. So I'm just, I have this nervousness, this Eric Godoy syndrome that, you know, these guys in their late 20s with a good amount of miles as a professional footballer are just worried that they, they start to lose a step potentially and that, you know, that's something that could hold them back. Because obviously Shop, if he's feeling his best physically, looking his best physically, he has the quality, the talent on the ball. We saw little glimpses of that. So, um, yeah, that's something I hope we, you know, can be an additive moving forward. I think even with like Julian Gressel, he had a couple opportunities that didn't quite come off in this match. And he probably would say that, you know, he wasn't at his absolute peak offensively. Um, that being said, I mean, the the ball into the box on the Javane Brown, Javane Brown goal was like just a beautiful ball. Um, yeah, absolutely top class there. So really this midfield three, I think, you know, all put in really, really solid grades in the opening match, but they're still maybe not Kubas because it was really like a 10 out of 10 from Kubas, it felt like. But um, with Schopf and Gressel, it feels like there's still some room for them to get better. And I think that's encouraging. Alex, something you put in the notes about possession too, which I mean, I don't, we don't need to talk a ton about, but I think it's going to be impactful going forward is just Yohi Takaoka in possession, the ability to just calm things down, come way, way out of a six yard box and just, you know, super, super calm with the ball at his feet. Um, that's just something for a team that really struggled to hold the ball and often would lose it very cheaply when someone like Cody Cropper just punted it downfield. Um, they're not going to have that problem now, right? They're going to have someone who can really reset the possession and uh, especially in the first half when they were vibing it was a couple times where in the past like it might have gone back to the center backs and then gone back to the keeper and sort of you you lose that opportunity to really do something with that possession but Takaoka just got them right back in phase and you know progressing it up the wings progressing it through the middle so uh, I think that that can only be good if they're gonna make some stylistic tweaks and try to hold more of the ball Takaoka is going to be a big part of that yeah, I mean, I think early return, but I think the Whitecaps seem to get this signing bang on. It just feels like the fit, this, the level, the price, a lot of boxes were ticked off in terms of that. And again, it's unfortunate for a guy like Thomas Asal, who I wanted to, to see well, but hey, this may, this might be good for him to just see this and learn and push a guy like Takoka. Maybe this benefits Thomas Asal because, yeah, Takoka looked I thought he had a pretty great game. And even the two goals, I feel like it was more due to breakdowns in front of him. Like you see the argument, could he have maybe, you know, come out on the, the, the goal, the second goal or the first goal. Sorry. Look like it's one where, you know, that pass should have been closed down miles earlier. The cross, like the crosser had unlimited time and he just whipped in a perfect curled ball. Like maybe that should have been marked better. Like it's one where I'm not going to look at Taco. And then the second one at Demir Krylak, like this guy has torched MLS defenses for years. You do not leave him open in the box. Like you're never going to do yourself any favors and Takoka saved their bacon. Like <laughs> lots, lots before. Um, but not to avoid to get into the, the negative of the second half. So we'll get to that, of course. But all that to say, I thought he had an excellent game. Like saves, he did what he needed to. But the possession part is going to change a lot just because it was so calm. And it's great because a guy like Takaoka can invite pressure. And I think what's great about that is that with how the Whitecaps are set up, especially that they're going to play a four and a three, that's the sort of possession system you need to build out of the back with. That's all the top teams play with a four and a three. 
And it creates just, there's just triangles out there. And you notice it with Takaoka. And the big thing is the connection he had with Kubas. The, he played like four or five line breaking passes to Andres Kubas. And like, when's the last time a white cap goalkeeper would be able to play that pass? Like maybe Max Crepeau sometimes, but even he was a fan of the, the chip, the chip out to the right side or the left side. Uh, you know, if, if, if you want a real throwback, remember the Max Crepeau to, to Ali Adnan flick on, which was really OP for some reason, because Adnan was like 70, he was like 99th percentile in aerial duels amongst wingbacks. But, uh, you know, like Takaoka had that 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 line breaking pass to Kubas down pat. And it's huge because RSL would press in a two like most teams press in like a four four two. They press in a two. Takoko just split the two strikers and all of a sudden they're turning back looking what's going on and then the white caps would have an overload of three midfielders two fullbacks like a 5v4 at that middle block and then they'd be able to get right through that with the triangles and I think that's immense because before when teams would press with two they just take away the center backs and invite the goalkeeper to do whatever and you know for every bit of Thomas Assal magic last year he had that that little Ronaldo chop that he pulled out it was a lot of like you mentioned Cody Cropper just hitting it wide and you know, there's no Ali Adnan there to get on the end and, and be that 99th percentile aerial duel winner. And I think just it made such a big difference in the press. And I think if the Whitecaps can start playing through the press, that's immense because we know they're a great transition team. They're a team that when they win the ball back in midfield and break lines, they're great. They were great at it last year. They won a Canadian championship final off the back of them being that good in that area but what's key is that if they can start breaking lines and inviting presses in possession that creates transition moments on its own as soon as you break a line and you create those 5v forwards in midfield you create those you know 4v3s in attack which we saw plenty of of in possession like it's a game changer and it just creates a whole new way to get ryan gold involved a whole new way to get your number 10s involved where they're not just relying on you being so defensively oriented in midfield and it allows you to hold on to the ball and control the tempo of the game and i think in the first 45 minutes they did such a great job of that and i think if they can build that off that's going to change so much in terms of the rest of the areas of their game especially their transition game their defensive game just because they they breathe more on the ball they're enjoying their time on the ball more and takoka made a huge difference yeah i'll just pick up on one final takoka point in terms of the first goal like i'm not gonna by any means go out there and say that he should have come and claimed that i think the only little wrinkle there is that just both with like the language barrier the lack of familiarity with mls the lack of familiarity with teammates I just feel like if that's a second or third year keeper with this team, he's able to see that that zonal marking was breaking down and just be like, hey, and get someone to kind of reset, reorganize and cover those guys at the back post. Whereas I feel like you're new, this is like your second match with a new team. You're not going to have that authority to just see what's going on on the fly and redirect things. So I I think that's just, you know, that's not a, a personal slight at Takoka. That's just new keeper there there are going to be these little communication things that take some time to build up but uh yeah super exciting what he can do on the ball and also what he can do as a shot stopper because there were you know by no means a um an average shot stopper he had some really good moments in that match the other guy you mentioned which is sort of next on our list here ryan gauld i mean the finishing or the end product maybe didn't quite come off the way he wanted but super super involved offensively we'll talk about this in a little bit here I think he was he was limited in the first half by the fact that Christian Dahomey was alongside him in a number 10 role not that same opportunity to combine that he really really likes but uh, 
man, just so good from like a from a big picture perspective. I think we maybe take for granted how good Ryan Gold was at the end of last season, and the fact that early on last season he was struggling with injury, with fitness, just kind of finding consistent form. And that's a big reason why the Whitecaps didn't make the playoffs. Like they didn't get peak Ryan Gold from the start of the season. So if they're, it seems like Ryan Gold's going to pick up right where he left off at the end of last year. So if they're able to get that all throughout this season, that's massive. I mean, you can talk about Cordova, Laborda, you know, getting more aggressive and shoff. But ultimately, you know, you need your one of your best players to, to be one of your best players. And if, if Ryan Gall is going to play at the level we saw on opening day, I think that's, you know, that's one thing the Caps can kind of tick off and say, okay, we don't have to worry about that. He's he's going to be buzzing at the number 10. And I think that's a huge positive as well. The fact that Ryan Gold and Andres Kubas, personally, when watching back, like blindly from right after the game, those are my, those are my two, like, player of the games. And I think anytime your two best players are your best your players of the games, you're going to do well on most nights. Of course, again, as we know, soccer is a weak link sport and maybe there's some areas where the white caps will have to short things up. So they're not throwing away performances like this as a team performances like this from their best players. But I think any, if, if Ryan Gold, I think the biggest tell for me about how good Ryan Gold was is that I just thought he was great. Like first viewing, didn't look at any numbers. Ryan Gold, just for some like perspective here, he had seven key passes. I didn't know that till like the next day. I was a bit behind. I didn't check who scored as much as I usually would have. He had seven key passes. That <laughs> it was first in MLS. The next best player on opening weekend was Andrew Gutman with four, and Ashley Wood Westwood and Nicola Nicola And those are like you know Nicola Dero is about the best as he come. And he had a fantastic game for Seattle. I watched it. He looked really good. So you tell me, Ryan Gold had seven key passes it, it, like that's just like you know of course key passes can only mean so much but just again that's blindly he, the fact that he looks so good and you look at his numbers like oh my goodness he had you know that many uh key passes you know he had 0.78 x expected assists according to american soccer analysis which was also first in the league so you know this these aren't just numbers where it's okay isolated in the game these are numbers that amongst everyone else who played in mls this weekend like he was the cream of the crop. And I think that's huge because the Whitecaps are going to need him to be that. I think it's one where, as we saw with Brian White, he's, he's streaky. We know that about Brian White. It's some days where the touches are going to be on and he'll score a hat trick. And there's games where he will be taking those touches. I think Sergio Cordova as well. It's something where he'll take time to find his feet. Their lives are going to be made a lot easier by if Ryan Gauls just keep feeding him his chances. I think of that chance Christian Dahomey got in the first half where Ryan Gauls put it on a platter, like great ball, disguised his hips to shoot, just carved it through the lines. Like guys like Cordova and White are going to feed on those sorts of balls. Heck, think of the the ball that Gauls played to White on in that that famous three on one with Pedro Vite, like just right in his feet and could have could have created something. Like if Ryan Gauls playing like that, it's excellent and. What's great about Gold is he did a lot of the things he's known for. I mean, passing, running in, in, in space, keeping his head up, getting shots, being dangerous. But I also just loved, uh, again, his work rate was there. And I think that's a big thing with Ryan Gold. He brings another element of, of that work rate, of that energy. And I think that's huge as a number 10 because, you know, sometimes you, you give a little. You look around the league. Some guys are great offensively. I think of Seattle, for example, in the battle they're going through. 
actually no not even sale because a guy like Nicola Dera has an excellent work, work rate but there's other guys around the league who don't always have that work rate and it, it's tough to coach that because how do you coach a system around a guy that isn't always working with Ryan Gold you don't have to worry about that and I think that's the biggest part because at least you know that look there's not there's going to be games where things don't come off you might have one key pass things not looking good but at least you know you're, he's going to be running he's going to be involved uh, in the game well, and that's something that Gauld had to sort of learn and cultivate in his game, right? Like after the the big move to Portugal, that was that was a bit of an issue. Is that he 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 wasn't a complete player, and he was sort of challenged to to do that, and you know, becoming a prodigy so young, and then kind of having to learn how to be a professional on the fly. I think that you know he's developed that well-rounded game, and yeah, I can I can think back to a couple moments in the match now where he just saw him, you know, the dogged tracking back, winning the ball back, and and. You know, it's it's so it's good enough at times where again you're you're almost tempted if you didn't have the players to put Ryan Gold back as number eight in the midfield, right? Because like he really can provide all of that, and obviously you like what you're getting him from the number ten at the moment. But that's a good point by you, Alex. Okay, well that was a lot of waxing poetically about all the things that went right, all the positives from this match, and to be sure there were there were plenty that we just detailed, but obviously. In a loss, there are some negatives, some things that irked us, some things that probably irked you out there. So it's now time to dive into them, Alex. Where where do we want to start here? And I don't know for you, maybe let's let's kind of go at it this way. What was the the biggest thing that stood out? Yeah, I mean, mainly the shift. I think that was a big thing, and the Whitecaps' lack of reaction to the shift because. Look, they played a phenomenal 40 minutes. Should they have scored more? Yes. That happens. Like, you have great periods of play. What was the big surprise is that around the 40th minute, they hit a wall. And they finished the half a bit quiet. And you could feel it in the stadium. The energy shaved. You make it to halftime. There, you do wonder, okay, do you see a change? Do you see a sub? Do you see a tweak? Something just to get the legs going. You don't. Okay, that's fine. You want to You trust your group. Then you see a bit of lethargicness for like 15, 20 minutes. RSL pushes. Your keeper makes four really good saves in like a 10-minute period, which you don't want because he had nothing to do in the first half. You then make a sub, you know, an offensive sub. Almost works. The offensive sub wins a tackle, creates a three-on-one. You should score. But that lack of defensive subs, especially at fullback, your fullbacks are really starting to to see their legs go. You give up some goals uh, from wide areas. That was the big thing. I think it was a combination of a lack of adjustment and then also how the fullbacks faded out of the game. Because I think from there, again, it was such a good performance from midfield. Even the attack, like they had their chances. It's a night where, look, they had over 2xG. On some nights, they scored three, four goals. This game's an afterthought. Okay, maybe it's 4-2. It's not as comfortable as you would have liked. But you get your goals. But it's one of those where defensively, the goals they gave up just didn't fit the bill of how they were playing, if that makes sense. Like it just, they weren't playing bad enough to deserve to give up two goals. And I see why Vanny Sartini would say something like that, but also it's something where they didn't adjust and they got punished for it. It's MLS. Like there's quality on the field. You can't be giving 10 yards of space for a left footed player to whip in a ball, like on the first goal. And you can't be giving a player like Demir Krylak any time to walk into the box after, you know, you let his teammates dribble and find him open. And I think, 
that was the the big thing was the lack of adjustments and then also how things really looked at fullback. So I don't know if we, where we want to start because we have both of those notes written down, funnily enough. But uh, those were the two big things that I think you could really tell hurt the Caps because that five-minute swing happened. They adjusted and they finished strong, but it's one of those where you don't want to be relying on chasing the game in the last 20 minutes. Like, yeah, you'll have your every couple games where you, you get a result, you get a win, you pat yourself on the back. But good teams in MLS, why they're good is – they typically head into those moments two two nil up, two one up, one nil up, and they just lock it down and they're taking the three points. And I think that's where we saw some of the growing pains the White Caps are uh, still going for, going through. Yeah, hearing from Vanny Sartini, not not just after the match, but also yesterday, it sort of seemed like <laughs> I think he's even probably admitted that you know a, a mistake was made there in the sense that. Um, you know, he he thought he liked what Luis Martins and Javane Brown could offer offensively, and he was sort of looking to get away with keeping them on the pitch for as long as possible. And it was, it just kind of became very clear there. Fifty fifth, sixtieth, sixty fifth minute. The further that went, the bigger of a risk that was becoming. And he flew a little too close to the sun, right? Like eventually, eventually it broke on him and. I mean, we can talk about, and we will talk about, I think, maybe just generally defensively how they approach things from a starting 11 perspective, but certainly seeing the way the match went from minute 40 onwards and then just keeping to plan A and not deviating, not adjusting when you saw the tide starting to turn the other way was really surprising, Alex. I mean, you you brought it up before the show, and I thought it was a really good point, the fact that the knock on Vanny Sartini up until this point had been really kind of, I don't want to say bad initial game plan, but often less than ideal initial game plan. And then really, really good adjustments in match (laughs) where often you kind of went, well, boy, why didn't he just do that from the start? And this was the opposite where, um, you know, the initial game plan, actually it was bold and a bit surprising and, and not everyone agreed with it, myself included, but you know, through 35 minutes, it was working really, really well. But when RSL made some changes, just the the tempo of the match started to adjust. Vanny's talked about this where no team in MLS is going to be dominant for 90 minutes. There's going to be flow. There's going to be phases of the game where each team has an advantage well okay at that phase of the match rsl had the advantage and vanny didn't make those adjustments vanny didn't regain the upper hand and you know i think you know fingers need to be pointed and questions need to be asked because uh kind of what i said in our you know preview to start the season about vanny is like i think one of the biggest things he has to do this season is not get in the way not make it about the coaching like just let your your best players be your best players and uh you know it it was a risk to put i don't think Jermaine brown or Luis martins are two of your best 11 players and so it was a risk putting them out there it worked for 35 40 minutes but then it, it started to fade and he didn't take the opportunity to adjust and and you know sort of bolster the the squad and I think that you know ultimately that came back to to burn them and I hopefully that's a a learning moment that they sort of take on board and and maybe we see some adjustments really as as early as this week San Jose's a different team um you know going to kind of go at you 1v1 with their dynamic wingers where I think having defensively responsible fullbacks will be really important like they can't 
I think with RSL, they thought they could kind of get away with it a bit. And I, I don't think there's any such choice available against San Jose, which we'll obviously get into. But yeah, I mean, to me, same thing as you is really this kind of, they're part and parcel. They're the same thing. It's the coaching and the coaching specifically about the fullbacks in this match is kind of what, what let it down at the end of the day. Yeah, it was one where it's like, it was a good learning lesson, I think, because Fanny Sartini, one thing that stood out now that I think back to his post-game comments, he said, look, like, I'm not, like, terribly angry because we lost, because it's a, it's MLS, everyone's a good team. But he's like, of course, he's angry about how it went about. But what I think what he said there was, like, I think a mistake he'll have to realize from this is, yeah, like, it, I think he wanted to ride his guys. That's fair. He wanted to ride the guys, give him a chance. And that's fair. As a coach, you put out a lineup, you want to ride with it. It, but it's one where also it's MLS. Like if teams are good, you can't let them grab momentum. And I think, and that also shows coaching makes a huge difference in MLS. Cause if we're talking about that parody and they're not maybe being gaps between teams, there aren't games where you can just like, you know, it's not, it's not Manchester city versus Southampton in the premier league. And you're just like, all right, like we're having a bad game. Just throw Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Holland. Let just let them do their thing. Like there's a certain little more nuance where it's like, RSL still has some game breakers that can cause problems. You don't let them grow into the game. Like there's no bad team in the league where you're looking like this is a free three points. Like that's reality of MLS. And I think it's one where you have to, ma- you have to navigate the ebbs and flows. Cause yes, Vanny's right. That every team's good. Every team's going to have their 15, 30, 45, 60 minutes in a game. But the key is you have to manage your ebbs and flows and you have to not just manage them is you have to create them, stop them, disrupt them. And it was clear that RSL had had, and that's the big thing, because Vanny's usually so on top of these ebbs and flows, uh, especially in the second half of games. Like, you have to give credit to him last year. Yeah, was it, you know, the most efficient style? No, but they were the cardiac caps for a reason. They killed teams in second halves by adjusting, etc. And I think, that, you know, on the flip side now, okay, maybe you have a better roster, you want to ride it a bit from the start and, and whatnot, but you have to manage those ebbs. And I think it was just, you can't have a team like RSL on the road in particular, grow into the game for 25 minutes. That's essentially what happened. Like they were, they started, I think 35th minute and they scored both of their goals by the 70th. That's what, like 35 minutes of play. You can't let a team on the road control that much of play. They can have their five, 10 minutes that happens, but it's something where you adjust. Maybe you press them a bit to, to frustrate them in, in possession. Maybe you tackle them a bit harder. Maybe you bring on a sub to bring in new legs. And just the fact that we didn't really see any of those shifts, uh, something where Vanny Sartini is, is going to have to, look because yeah coaching makes a huge difference in MLS and it's something where you have to get your starting 11 right from the start and you have to get your your adjustments bang on and sometimes for Benny it feels like he gets one or the other he'll get the bang on from the start and you know you got to adjust from there or you won't get it right from the start but he'll do well to adjust so I think I think again it's something where he'll he'll obviously look back at the tape look at what went wrong but uh I think coaching yeah it's something that did play a big of a, a big role but I guess maybe Sam, because we talked about coach, I don't think we have much more else to say about that unless you do. What would you maybe tweak at fullback to put at the question? Because obviously we've been focusing on the fullbacks and what we think went wrong. But how how would we maybe look at if you're Vanny Sartini's shoes, tweaking that so that it, you know it doesn't end up being a problem for for them in games where teams, especially with great wingers, you know San Jose does have some dangerous players who like to deploy out wide. Kate Cowell always a nightmare for fullbacks. Christian Espinosa loves to float between the lines. Like how how should the Whitecaps maybe approach their fullback situation? 
Oh gosh, I think it's I think it's incredibly simple. I think it's that you have Tristan Blackman and Matias Laborda, who both played a bunch together with Ranko Veselinovic in the preseason, and you you put one of them at either fullback role, and then you have one stalwart defensively responsible fullback, and then you can you can go a bit crazy if you want. Like, if you're so in love with Luis Martinez's left foot, you can throw him out there. If if you really like what Ryan Raposo brings in terms of darting forward, little intricate one-twos, interplay, Raposo's also got really good service, you can go there. If you want what Christian Gutierrez brings, you can go, like, you could, Javane Brown, you want to bring him on for 65 minutes to just run back and forth, you can have that. It opens things up. My problem was... You can't have Javane Brown and Luis Martins together. That just doesn't, it's just two potential defensive liabilities, two potential guys where their legs are going to run out at a certain point, um, two guys where there's there's some real sacrifices. Um, and, and yeah, it just doesn't, it puts a lot of stress on Ranko and, and Tristan Blackman back there, you know, if they get beat or if they, they go up the pitch kind of on overlaps and they don't track back. Now you're in big trouble defensively. So I think they just they have to have one stay-at-home fullback. They've got three really good defensive players that can fill those roles. Uh, I just don't understand it. It seemed like shooting yourself in your, the foot to not start Matias Laborda in this match. And yeah, I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, well, I mean, that kind of brings us nicely to the last points. I mean, yeah, I agree. And I think the no Matias Laborda, I think, is the huge one that ended up hurting the caps in the end because yeah he didn't need to defend much in the first half but it's one where when that pressure comes you want a general like Laborda who kind of you know gives that sort of energy and and, and leadership and kind of no nonsenseness that the caps needed because again it feels like you know between Ranko Veselinovic and Tristan Blackman as a pair I mean very solid center backs but it's one where we've seen it again for from Ranko Veselinovic he you know, he's very good in his 1v1s. He's going to do his job, but sometimes you almost need like a just, yeah, I don't know, something like a Laborda back there. And I think it's it's just weird not to pair the two because it feels like they'd complement each other. Ranko can be that more quiet, just play the ball, you know, do do his thing. And Laborda can be, you know, bringing that different energy beside him, be, be a little more of a dog to use the, the term that a, everyone always wants to throw around. And then it allows you Blackman to move up to right back. And he played that role for LAFC. We have to remember he started in the Champions League final once playing right back for LAFC. Like this isn't an unfamiliar role. He can get forward. He can get back, be that stay at home, help you build out the back. Then you just have that spine in the middle. The big question is what the heck do you do at left back? Because when I said it before, and I think that's what I'm coming to realize, the reality is Luis Martins, a fine player. He, when he, you know, when he's on, he's got a, Pretty darn good left foot. But I think we're something at a point where the Whitecaps are believing in the idea of Luis Martins. They're believing in the the theory, the concept, an ideal. And this just reality is we're not always seeing the Luis Martins. We're hearing about him. He's like an ode. It's, an ode. it's, a, it's, it's something written in the scribe, but we're not actually out there seeing this this so, supposed Luis Martins, the left foot, the wizard of going up and down the, the field. At least I saw more of that from Christian Gutierrez back in when he was healthy. Uh, in past seasons than I have from from Luis Martins. And that is a huge question mark because, look, I get it. People love left-footed left-backs and right-footed right-backs. I do too as well. It makes a lot of sense tactically. They can open their hips better. It helps them playing out the back. 
but it's just the reality is it's something where yeah if you have a left-footed left back who's as good as all your other options yeah you play your left foot he, he wins out in a tie but it's just something where based on what we've seen even last year when they were winning I just haven't seen enough over like the five, 10 games to say he's an upgrade. I think, again, he's a fine player. He can be a good sub. I think, I think back to his debut, he looked great off the bench. He can be maybe an energy guy that 20, 30 minutes, but it just feels like his legs aren't always there. He's not always getting up the feet. Like he doesn't have the energy to get up the field to use that left foot. He's not getting, and then he goes up and he's not tracking back enough. So you're losing a bit of that defensively. And again, I just see you see what guys bring when they come in, like Ryan Raposo, not a true fullback, but even he's looking dynamic. At least you know he's going to run up and down the field and bring you the energy for 60, 70, 80 minutes. Ali Ahmed, same thing, energy for days. And at least even if you maybe Ali Ahmed's not a natural defender, so to speak, at least you know he's going to run and take on guys and give you that additional threat in the final third. And I think that's one of those where those two assets of, of, of Raposo and uh, Ahmed give you more than what Luis Martins has brought uh, and what he can bring just based on what we've seen. So it's something where, look, if unless you're going to go out and bring in a new left back, I think you have to look at the guys that you have within you being better than, than Martins. And I think just it's one where you keep it simple at the back, Laborda, Veselinovic, Brown. And I think you just look at whoever's, you know, b- between Ahmed and Raposo personally, but I'm sure we'll see more Martins, but that's just how I'm feeling based on not just this game with Martins. It's important to know. It just feels like over the last couple. You mean Laborda Veselinovic Blackman, correct? You're not advocating yeah, sorry, for Javane, a Javane Brown start. Okay. Just double checking. I mean, hey, I, I don't mind a Javane Brown start. It's just, you have to use them the right way. A good six. Javane, Javane's great. On. You just, you have to know when to take him off the pitch. Cause when he falls off a cliff fitness wise, he really falls off a cliff. Um, yeah, I totally in, agree with you. And I, I mean, one thing that I think we just need to continue saying too, is that that left back spot, you've got three Canadian options. You didn't start any Canadians on opening day. Like there's, there's your free opportunity to, get some Canadian content. Okay, the last the last thing I wanted to pick up just on the the negative sides, which is sort of the the fullbacks, the the lack of substitutions, the the Vanny Sartini stuff was kind of the feature presentation of the negatives. But the you know a, a secondary element was the lack of finishing. And I think maybe some people are, you know, overselling it as oh typical white caps they just can't finish i there's a certain element of luck to it there's a certain element of match in match out these things are going to change but i think two players that at least are sort of worth mentioning are brian white will say that i thought brian white we talked about this before the show in the first half his hold up play his movements on and off the ball were actually really really good yes it's completely overshadowed by the couple bad moments in the box, on the ball. I totally understand that. And when you're a striker, that's what you're paid to do. But there were some things I liked about Brian White's game in the first half. And almost kind of completely flipping it on its head, I didn't really like those elements that I saw from Christian Dahomey. Yes, he had some opportunities. Yes, he has the the pace, the, the physical traits to be dynamic at times. But man, it's just he gets the ball at his feet sometimes. And it's like the world around him just disappears and all he can see is the goal and himself running. And when you have a player as talented as Ryan Gauld alongside you, you have great midfielders like Alessandro Schaaf, Julian Gressel, you just want more interplay and combining. 
Um, and I just don't feel like Dahomey offers that. And so that was another one for me where um, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't have hated, honestly, if we saw Christian Dahomey get a start at striker, like a, playing like a false nine. I, I think that might have made sense. But I, I didn't understand starting Dahomey specifically at the number 10 over Pedro Vite. And, and yeah, those are two guys who just obviously had some some poor finishing moments. So uh, that was kind of the, the subplot of this match and is at least worth mentioning without without belaboring it too much because I do think that's something that naturally will correct itself. You know, Ryan Gall, Gald will curl one of those balls into the back of the net. Brian White, when he gets hot, will slot home some of those chances. Yeah, and I think, look, it's one where with the home, I think the biggest thing it's less about him and it's more about the fact that Pedro Vite was benched over and I think the fact that Vite had such a good cameo like we hear a lot heard a lot last year about Vite work rate work rate it's not always there he comes on the field presses a guy wins a ball is working hard he's just so dynamic and fits the system I just think you can't keep him on the bench much longer and I think that's the big thing for Dahomey where yeah, look, you want to get wider Cordova on the field, but you also want to get Dahomey. Like, you don't want to be benching your two well-paid, you know, number nines in white and Cordova if that's what you do if you're putting Vite Gold underneath Dahomey. So you want to put Dahomey. It's just one where, again, Dahomey, I will always, you know, ride for Dahomey, so to speak. Like, he's a great player. He's always been one that's maybe underappreciated. It's just his, Christian Dahomey is at his best when he's in a front three and he is out wide and he is just trying to give your fullback nightmares and just like think of what he did to Jasper Lawfelsen in this game as well where he like he he hopped past him and uh, maybe caught a bit of a loogie by the way, uh, based on the the past replay uh, from Lawfelsen but he he, jart, he darted past Lawfelsen gets folded and like that's what he does he just terrorizes these players with his speed his turn of pace just getting at guys getting to the byline then crossing and then shooting from these tight angles just feels like in the middle there's too much that happens too quick like you have to be one two touch it has to be quick whereas Dahomey he loves to hold on the ball and slow things down which again never a bad attribute but what that means is Vite just fits that role more as a number 10 okay Vite and Gauld it means okay he'd be good at striker but White and Cordova obviously are prioritized to play there and then all of a sudden that leaves Dahomey as a sub and I think what's going to hurt him is there's a one Diber Caicedo who is still a ways from returning but I'd say what like a month two months would be conservative to to say he's back that's someone he Caicedo as a winger as we saw can play quick he can play in those spaces he can be that closer to a number 10 than Dahomey can and I think that's going to be huge for Dahomey not in a great way just because that might knock him down the pecking or order further so I think it's one where yeah the Whitecaps finishing is going to correct itself White and Cordoba will score goals the Whitecaps had two XG all in open or not open play but all non-penalty XG they will score some nights they'll score five with that some nights they're score one that's soccer but if they're going to generate chances like that finishing is not a worry but for how they play you can only wonder they could be getting more if they had Vite and Gold in attack, or even when Caicedo's back, and that just hurts Dahomey. Because again, it's the same question that you had in preseason. He went off for a bit, but of course scored the four goals. But it's like, where does he fit? And you're paying him a lot, and it starts to wonder again. Like they were shopping at the beginning of preseason. Might that make sense? Just so he he doesn't fall out of favor, and then you're talking in a few months' time about a player where he's unhappy, and you you're paying him a lot of money, and you, you wonder if you could have sold high on him in preseason when he was firing in goals and and doing well. That's why I'm just throwing that idea out there. Definitely something the way the 
you know, first month of the season goes, they're going to have to monitor. Well, speaking of the first month of the season, we've got the Whitecaps versus the San Jose Earthquakes this upcoming weekend, Saturday night in San Jose. We'll be back in just a moment to preview that. Enough looking back. Well, sort of. At least enough looking back at the Whitecaps. We'll look forward at their next game, and I guess to do so, we'll look back at the San Jose Earthquakes. I mean, just to start, poor, tough time for them. I mean, they get dealt a very tough hand from the schedule makers, a cross-country flight-ish to Atlanta. They play the always tough Atlanta United at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Go have a heck of a game, to be fair, like in terms of, again, the, the term I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of, you're a lot of dog. They show a lot of dog on the road go out for 90 minutes, lead Atlanta, look like they're on the precipice of a win. And then uh, Thiago Almada, the first MLS uh, World Cup winner, shows uh, that, hey, he hung out for, with Lionel Messi and trained with Lionel Messi for a year and showed some Lionel Messi-esque qualities with uh, a wonder bar, bar down strike. And then uh, shortly after a free kick right out of uh, Lionel Messi's playbook, Sa- San Jose ends up not throwing away a, a three points that feels harsh based on how good Almada was in those 10 minutes but uh they certainly dropped some points where they felt close to, to getting a big three points so San Jose coming home reeling for their home opener yeah I mean we've we've known for a long time now that San Jose tends to play high event uh chaotic football right like that's sort of been their calling card for quite a while but to be honest I didn't I didn't realize just how chaotic it was last season. Ended up finishing last in the West. Um, just got absolutely caved in in terms of goal differential all the way down at minus 17. And they allowed 69 goals against. Nice. Um, but also not really so nice if you're a Quakes fan. So, um, you know, some some rebuilding happening in the offseason. Uh, they obviously, they assat- they announced the signing of Luchi Gonzalez mid to the latter end of last season, but um, didn't actually make it official until after the World Cup. So uh, we've obviously talked before on the show about Luchi and the job he did for FC Dallas. And really, that was at the time if to, you know, for those that don't remember, FC Dallas, before they decided to spend some of the money they gained from transfer fees, um, they, they really weren't giving... Lucci much to work with and he managed to grind out some second third fourth in the west teams uh, that really had no business being there but just uh, had a really good team culture camaraderie uh, tactical identity like they just they always felt like a very cohesive unit and obviously Lucci was a big part of the the strength of that development academy culture they had there as well so obviously it brings a big cv a uh, kind of a a CV of MLS culture and MLS success that he can bring to San Jose and maybe reform San Jose's identity. Cause I think at this point, that's what they're looking for, right? Like they don't want to be, we win every match four three anymore. They'd probably like to reinvent themselves a little bit. And ultimately Alex, you, you pointed it out. Well, yes, they lost two nil to Atlanta on the road in this opening match, but really it was, it was so close to being the exact, type 
of opening match they would have wanted, which is a a one nil road win where they really didn't permit permit many scoring chances. They played really good defensively, and unfortunately, in extra time, they were broken open by just a couple, you know, screamer shots from outside the box. So, I think there's reason to at least be somewhat optimistic that they'll be on the path to refinding their identity, ameliorating themselves this season. It's just a question of how quickly um, they're able to sort of bring some of these things together. That's, that's I think, the big question mark. Um, they, they've got a lot of new players defensively. How do they all integrate? Does does Lucci get everyone to buy in? That's kind of the, the thing to monitor. Goals are going to be there. It's just, uh, yeah, the rest of it is a bit of a question mark at this point. Well, you know what I'll say about San Jose? Like, I like what they've been doing. Like, I think it was one where Matias Almeida, I always thought he was a pretty good coach. It was just one where he didn't maybe suit what was going on. Like he just, he, he played such a demanding style and it's something that maybe it worked at like a Chivas, for example, because you're just dealing with homegrowns there. Like you kind of get a pick of the homegrowns you want that fit your style. Cause obviously they Chivas plays the, you know, where they only sign Mexican players, which again, I love and Almeida fit there. You got to pick his guys. They played a very specific way. Whereas you come to MLS, and as we've seen with coaches, it's tough because you have to adjust to roster rules. If you do it like a Mark DeSantos did where you try to adjust your roster, it's just so hard to get the right pieces. You're always playing catch-up. It's something where sometimes coaches in MLS have to adapt to the team, and that didn't always happen to Almeida, and that's partly why he left. I think bringing Luchi Gonzalez was a perfect hire because Luchi Gonzalez, he his teams knew how to grind in Dallas. They they knew how to go out there and, you know, it was a very, to use a hockey term, they were a very lunch pail team, but they didn't play bad football either. They ping the ball around. They were fun to watch, but they defend well. That's why I remember when Lucci Gonzalez was the coach, like FC Dallas defenders were a hot commodity in MLS fantasy. Like you'd load up on your Dallas defenders, your Hollings heads, you know, some of the other players that they had back in the day, like they, they were a good defensive team. And I think, the fact that they were able to pick that up is huge because the one thing is that slept on on San Jose is they have a really, really good attack. What stands out is last year they finished third in MLS, or third last in MLS, right? What's remarkable is they had the fourth most goals for in the West and top nine, I think it was, in entire MLS for goals for. Like, that's a very good mark to hit. And, like, for example, like, they have their front four, like, Cade Cowell, one of the hottest prospects, like, German Bundesliga teams are looking at him. Okay, you got Shamiro Montero, who was a part of that, you know, those successful Philadelphia Union teams, cheeky little trade from San Jose to acquire them. And then I think, honestly, like now that I'm thinking about, might be possibly the most underrated number nine, number 10 duo in MLS. Like you hear all the time about, you know, Driussi Fagundes, and you hear about Zellerayan, Cucho Hernandez, like take your pick of all these players, Insigne Bernadeschi, all these great duos. No one's talking about Espinoza, Christian Espinoza, and Jeremy Obobase. Jeremy Obobase dropped 17 goals last year playing on the third last team in MLS. What was it, Sam? 15 non-penalty goals as well? Like, he's not... Christian Espinoza took five penalties. Obobase could have touched 20 if he took a few more penalties. Christian Espinoza had... Uh, he was pushing close to double-digit goals. He's always constantly in the 10 plus assist range like there's not many 9 10 duos in mls i'd arguably take over them just you forget about them because they play in san jose so world-class attack arguably amongst mls standards of course and for them it was just about the defense and i think bringing in gazelles was a big step as was uh some of the other moves that they made in that regard 
Yeah, I'll just pick that up from last season. Christian Espinoza, seven goals, nine assists. Jameer Montero had four goals, six assists. Um, yeah, so definitely some some great attacking midfield and 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 striking play there. And yeah, Bobasi, I mean, just I, I remember it was like every time I put on San Jose's highlights, he was finding the back of the net. And uh, really good to see him sort of achieving his full potential because obviously he's had you know some up and downs in his MLS journey and and seems to be doing really really well so I don't know just a guy I always I, I kind of silently cheer for a little bit um yeah I think there's a lot to be excited about with this squad I, I think just the the big thing is they're they've got some new faces um defensively right like you're looking at basically what is an entirely new top center back pairing new goalkeeper JT Marcinkowski moving to the bench at least for now so you're um you're kind of you know, not taking a bet because, I mean, you've got someone like Jonathan Mensah, who obviously has a proven MLS track record, but you've also got a couple guys from out of league who you're um, bringing in are going to gonna be asking big minutes um, and big responsibilities out of them this season. But I, I like some of the additions they've made. I mean, I, I won't profess to, to know everything about, um, like, say, for example, the Brazilian keeper they brought in, but uh, seems like they're they're looking at chipping away at that 69 goals against last season so it's it's not just stylistic it's also roster construction as well yeah and i think that's an area again where san jose's quietly done a good job of picking up the pieces i think what's nice obviously they brought in espinoza from villarreal back in the day so obviously high pedigree and he's been god it's it's like fourth fifth season now and he's been excellent every year uh in mls and then boba say that was a move I wish the Caps made. And it was funny enough. I think it was similar times to when around when Brian Wright White got moved in 2021. Uh, San Jose nabbed a Bobasi from Portland, always just hidden and having to play on the wing. So they got a Bobasi within MLS. Always got the time of the day for for Bobasi. They get Hamiro Montero, just you know, obviously with Philly bringing in Daniel Gazdag and Michael Ure, and then Julian Carranza, and that whole explosive front three wasn't much room for Montero. Like they've been, they've done a good job to snap up, you know, some of these guys from around the league. Also, I don't know what happened to him because I think he might be injured. But they also did get Jan Gregus, who I, I I don't know what he's up to these days. So they nabbed him from within the league. Always a number eight that I enjoyed watching in his Minnesota days. You look in the the six, Carlos Grezzo, the Ecuadorian, used to play for Dallas under Luchi Gonzalez. So another player familiar with the league, Jackson Ewell, uh, obviously the home homegrown, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he is as well like they've done a good job to pick up pieces within MLS and then it's going to be interesting to see how this back three you know back three being goalkeeper plus two CBs pans out because Jonathan Mensa MLS cup winner in 2020 always been a rock for the crew so interesting to see them make that move and then two just really interesting punts I mean the goalie Danielle uh, or I guess Brazilian, yeah, something Danielle or something like that. One name, awesome. Uh, he had over 60 appearances for Internacional, one of the biggest clubs in Brazil, so you won't scoff at that. And then Rodriguez is uh, played, uh, on, was on loan from Grêmio, another one of the big uh, Brazilian uh, place, uh, you know, powerhouses, so that they were able to get those two in the fold along with some MLS experience. 
look, I mean, they look to do well other than two worldies uh, on, on the weekend. So that's promising. And what's great with Gonzalez, you know, it's going to be structured. You know, it's going to be four, two, three, one. You know, it's going to be the double sixes. You know, he's going to let his attack do his thing. And I think San Jose needed that. And it's going to be interesting to see how it comes together because Paul Marie as well at fullback looked good last year. Um, Miguel Trauco, a proving international. I've heard a lot of great things about him. Like they've got some good little pieces now. And I think, uh, you know, you add in their depth, like San Jose's quietly building a very solid team. You know, it's the ultimate indicator of great roster construction. Uh, San Jose now has four Brazilian players that are single name. So you've got Danielle, who just said, you've got um, Nathan, who is injured at the moment, another Brazilian center back who's obviously been in the league for a couple seasons now. And then you've also got Judson, who you can't forget about, defensive midfielder. So uh, they're tapping something in the Brazilian pipeline there. I mean, I don't know. Nathan was a was a high-priced acquisition when they brought him in, and I don't know necessarily if that's worked out exactly how they would have hoped. I think they imagine him as just like a stalwart center back in MLS, and, and so maybe they've learned something now with Rodriguez and their... Uh, you know they've tweaked their their acquisition just a little bit to fit what Lucci's looking for, but ultimately, I mean, this is what I'm looking forward to. This is two teams, hopefully, on the rise in the West and MLS, um, and and obviously there have been some some very memorable matchups between these two sides. So uh, yeah, good for the Whitecaps to shake their legs out. You know, go out on the road, um, get their season started in that sense, and. Uh, and yeah, I think in terms of the matchup itself, I kind of gave away maybe already a little bit of my my lineup prediction in the sense that I do think, um, not even by choice, but sort of by the way that San Jose is going to play, there's going to have to be a little bit more focus defensively in wide areas at shutting down an Espinosa, um, mitigating an Abobasi, uh, you know, Kubas doing what he can to pocket Montero, those are all going to be, uh, you know, real important factors because ultimately, I think if you know if the Whitecaps can contain San Jose, uh, the way they created in that opening match, they're going to find goals down in California as well. Yeah, look, we're always going to have a soft spot for San Jose, fellow third wheel Derby. I'm keeping that. I'm never giving up that name. MLS rivalry week, always San Jose Earthquakes, Vancouver Whitecaps. Always a good old third wheel derby. So shout out to to the two third wheels of the West Coast uh, for for that. And you know, of course, they've always seen San Jose and Vancouver always have this weird thing where they're always peaking and falling at the same time. Like they played each other in the playoffs in 2017, and then they were both the bottom two teams in 2019. I think it was like they're always ebbing and flowing at the same time. So they're almost like little brothers in a sense. So it's kind of hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean. Let's kind of guess, do you want to dive into lineup predictions? All I'd say is two notes. Um, Jan Gregus is a free agent, so I just want to confirm. I checked, he is a free agent, so he's no longer there. But someone who maybe replaced him, sort of, just had to give a shout. Michael Baldissimo, for those uh, familiar, former Whitecaps, number six. Uh, he ended up getting snabbed by Michael Bald- uh, by San Jose Earthquakes in the re-entry draft. He ended up signing, and he actually made his debut on the weekend in the Atlanta game off the bench. So just wanted to give a shout-out to Whitecaps Academy prospect. We're always going to keep an eye on the the, the past and present of, of the Whitecaps Academy. So hopefully Baldy continues to play uh, with San Jose and, uh, you know, hopefully find some success because always a great player, always, you know, 
you know, always nice to to see around you know shy guy he wasn't always the loudest guy and you you respect him for that so hopefully he, in san jose he's able to to find himself as a player and uh, get some minutes yeah, it was good to see because I don't know if when Baldy left the Caps, if that was 100% guaranteed that he was going to get another contract in MLS. So, But obviously, uh, San Jose saw something um, where they, they felt like there was still some potential there. And I can certainly see that watching Baldy at training over the years, um, even seeing him you know, play for the Whitecaps, knowing what he can do at times at his best in the right system. There is still MLS potential there, so good to see him get some minutes on opening weekend. Yeah, in terms of lineup predictions, I mean, yeah, yeah, I wasn't going to fault Vanny Sartini for starting Brian White on opening day because I understand that uh, Sergio Cordova was still sort of revving up to full fitness, getting integrated, but I think he looked fluid. He looked ready to go in his substitute appearance. I would imagine he gets the start down in San Jose. I think that Pedro Vite is going to start. I don't know. There's something that makes me hesitant at this point that they're they're going to put Dahomey back out there. They're going to do something else, but I can't go away from it. They, there was so much Ryan Gold and Pedro Vite in the preseason. I don't know why you would have done that if you didn't intend on rolling with it in the regular season as well. Midfield three, not going to change at all. Uh, absolutely no reason to do that. And then the back line, I mean, I've made my views pretty clear. I think you get Tristan Blackman, Matias Laborda, Ranko Veselinovic. And, gosh, that left back position, who the heck knows what's going to happen. I'm going to go Ryan Raposo. Uh, I, let's say Ryan Raposo gets a start, but honestly, your guess is as good as mine in that department. And then Yoi Takaoka in goal. So I, I think it's relatively straightforward. Uh, that second number 10 role, left back. Are, are the two question marks, really. What's great for Vanny Sartini is that a lot of the adjustments and battles from the first game also happen to be areas of focus for San Jose, so he can do the double whammy. Because Vanny Sartini always does like to prepare for teams of making tweaks to prepare for San Jose at the same time while reacting to the first game. So my lineups, I'd say, relatively similar. The way I'm looking at it is you want to nullify San Jose's front four in the best that you can, and then you really want to I think you want to stretch out their midfield, especially a guy like Jackson Ewell. He's very strong on the ball, but he can tend to roam a bit forward and maybe open up pockets in behind to run at the defenders, especially, you know, if the fullbacks push up, there are, you know, attack relatively attack minded. So I'm looking to counter that is, I mean, Yohi Tako can goal in the back four from right to left. I'm putting Blackman at right back. I think him against Cade Cowell will be a very good matchup. Um, you want to shut down that speed of Cowell. And I think, Blackman is shown to be very underrated in that regard. And then I think you go Veselinovich, Laborda, you keep it simple. You try to just limit a Bobase, be on him, especially a guy like Laborda uh, to, to really be, you know, touch tight with him and, uh, you know, Ranko Veselinovich as well. And then at left back, that's a tough one. Um, just because it's Espinosa there and he is going to roam in. So I think of like, of course, I'd, always willing to throw in a guy like an Ahmed or a pro. So it just might be a big ass to, Hey, look, you're going up one V one against the best number, like one of the best number tens in MLS. So I'd say logically or Raposo, I'd, I'd agree with that just because he's showed to deserve it. But what I'm saying is don't be surprised. Of course. I mean, Louis Spartans, we wouldn't be surprised, but don't be surprised if we see like a Javane Brown slot over. Cause he has played left back. He could maybe offer the, the speed and the one V one to cope 
uh, with that. Or even you th- what we also could see is Brown go up against Cowell, which is a matchup that could make sense. You throw Blackman over to the left because he is a little more defensively responsible. That's what I'm just seeing for fullback. A bit unconventional, but... Well, I was almost, I was going to say something somewhat similar. Uh, I don't think the Whitecaps are ready for this yet, but you could go like a really galaxy brain and you could go Laborda and Blackman as your fullbacks and Karifa Yao and Rankova Solinovich in the middle. Like if you really, if you were just going to put everything into shutting down those dynamic wide players that I think it's a little aggressive. I don't think they actually do that, but the Javane Brown thing could accomplish something similar where you're really focusing on those fullbacks being good in their one V one matchup. So I, I like the idea. So yeah, I'll, I'll go Brown, Blackman, Veselinovich, Laborda, pick your pick for who plays what side. Cause Blackman could be CB, Laborda could be fullback. Brown could be on the left. He could be on the right. So I'll just put out that back four. I do love the Yao shout, especially because he's great in the air, and Abobase is a decent little header of the ball. Um, but we'll stick to that, and I think the midfield, you run it back. You try to control play, break lines. So Gressel, Schopf uh, in front of Kubas, and then I think you go Vite and Gold, because as I mentioned, if Yule pushes forward, if you can get Gold and Vite between the lines. And uh, I think I go White, just because from what it seems, Cordova isn't is still working his way up to full fitness, and I, I liked what I saw, but it's one where... He, you know, he did come in a little to camp a little late. It's not like Takoka where he had that chance to play that 90 in, in preseason. And it's just what from what I'm hearing and from what we saw in training and, you know, as well as, uh, you know, the fact that he came on so late in the RSL game, like the fact that he came in still 75th, 80th, I think it's telling. I think he's going to get 30 in this game. So I'm sticking with White for now. Maybe Dahome up front, but I'll stick with White and that's fair enough. I think White, you know, he he deserves based on that first half. It's not unrealistic to give him a chance to build off that. Okay, interesting. That's the, that's the benefit of having been in Vancouver last week. I feel like I don't I don't have that same feel for um, Cordova and the the striker position and that kind of stuff. So that's that's interesting. I think you'll see some some frustrated Vancouver Whitecaps fans if that is yep. the case. Not contesting that information, uh, but that that's that's curious, especially because. Sometimes I wish Vanny Sartini would just be a little bit more up front because he kind of he puts up a good front of saying, "Oh, well, you know, they were mid-season in Germany. He'll be ready to go." But if like that's, that's not yep. the case, just tell us. Like it's fine. I I don't understand why you have to be so cloak and dagger about stuff like that. Maybe we were just spoiled under Mark Dos Santos because he couldn't lie to us. He always he always <laughs> yeah, kept Mark it. Would <laughs> yeah, Mark would tell you anything if you if you asked a direct worst poker question. player. Exactly. What's your hand right now on the blackjack? Oh, I got a, I got a nine and a five. Okay, Mark, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we were just a bit spoiled there for a while, but but yeah, Vanny can can at times be a bit misleading about stuff like that. So okay, that's something I'll be watching out for. I mean, Alex, what do you think? I guess we we haven't seen a ton of San Jose defensively yet, so it's tough to say, but. Um, what does that change for Vancouver in your estimation, depending on who starts at striker? Yeah, I think if White's there, that's good news for Vite and Gold because they can just, White will bring them in. I think that's the nice thing about White is that he's going to bring that hold up and link up play. The only annoying thing is if you'd want to drag the fullbacks in when White's on just because he's so good at opening up space in the middle that if you can get fullbacks up the field, it just feels like a game where, you know, you want your fullbacks to be a little more cautious given what you're up against. 
but I do think that's good news for Vite and Gold. And you want that. You want them on the ball as much as possible. So I think White will really see Gold and Vite thrive and hopefully they can beg a goal. I, I think Cordova is an interesting one, though, just because it might give you a bit more of an outlet since he's just so big. You can throw it up to him if maybe things get a little tight. Um, you can try to play in behind a little more, which depending on how aggressive San Jose's line is, could also be a benefit because um, he likes to run those channels. And, you know, it's always good for wide balls and set pieces also to have that outlet. So it's a bit of a different look. I mean, it really depends. We're, we're going to have to see how San Jose sets their line of engagement. How aggressive are they in possession? Because we haven't, you know, really had the chance to see uh, all that yet. I mean, it is worth noting that, you know, they did get outpossessed rather heavily by Atlanta. That's expected. Atlanta does love to hold the ball under Gonzalo Pineda. But, you know, in a game where... Vancouver is a team that really likes to hold the ball. Now maybe we'll see San Jose retreat into their box a bit more. And then a guy like Cordova might be a bit more of a benefit, uh, you know, versus a guy like white who's, uh, you know, there, there's benefits to both because they can both play in transition. They can both be useful against low block. So it's one where just white will bring a little more of the holdup and then Cordova will bring a little more of that direct play. Yeah. I mean, I asked cause the only thing I was thinking was, kind of exactly what you illustrated where Cordova would play in a style where it didn't require Vancouver's fullbacks to get forward as much. And in this match, if they don't want to push those fullbacks forward, I just feel like with Brian White there, he doesn't have that dynamic ability to sort of hit in the counter without some fullback involvement, some overlap. So I just felt like that might be um, a way in which they're limited if they want to play defensively against those San Jose's wide players, but they also have Brian White starting. That being said, as you as you said, we don't know defensively how this team, it's only match number two for San Jose under Luchi Gonzalez, what kind of defensive system they're going to set up in. That's obviously something that Vanny Sartini and his coaching staff will be diving into and trying to figure out the best answer. But I think it is interesting because Vanny Sartini teams um, very much they press and the line is led by that striker. And so who you have up front doesn't just affect who's going to hopefully score a goal at the end of the day. It, it, it has a overall stylistic effect as well. So uh, I think that's something that's going to be interesting to watch. Not only who starts, but then what they do substitution-wise, what the minute split is. You know, is it 65-35? Is it, uh, you know, 70-20? Well, 65 65- 25 uh you get the point but uh i mean it's gonna be an interesting challenge for whitecaps because they've had games in the past where they hold the ball at home but this is a good chance to maybe prove that they can be a team that can hold the ball on the road they're playing on a good grass surface um and san jose under you know they showed it last week again they're on the road so it's hard to judge but given that Gonzalez is going to want to come in and impose defensive solidity they might be comfortable giving up a little of the ball so it's going to be a good chance for the Whitecaps to really prove. Cause there's a lot of times where we said this last year, we're like, Oh, the Whitecaps could actually hold the ball a lot. This game spoiler. They didn't, especially not on the road where uh, this is going to be a huge test. Cause again, we need to see a lot from the Whitecaps on the road, especially they already dropped points at home. That means you have to make three points up on the road somewhere else. Like you say, win your home games, get your points on the road. So the, this is going to be one where we're going to have to see a lot from them on the road. Cause they were just, they've been so poor on the road the last few years for a lack of better way to put it so if they can go out and have a bright performance control the ball 
be dangerous, be threatening. I think that's going to be huge because it just feels like too much of their road performances on the last year is, is relying on like an act of God to get a win where it'd be nice for them to at least go out and give them, you know, tilt the odds slightly in their favor, not just be relying on, you know, something, something to fall from the sky and uh, to, to go their way. Okay. Well, uh, without further ado, do we, do we dive into predictions? What are we, what are we thinking for this one? let's do it we're over on prediction so we got it we got to start somewhere we got to build up maybe get a win this weekend okay well um i'll go i think it's i uh, this is sort of tentative cautious i think this is a an outcome where all teams kind of win right everyone gets their footing i'm gonna say one one draw like i i'm buying this luchi gonzalez reconstruction project in san jose i, I liked some of the pieces they had already they just needed some some cleanup, some structure, and I, I think that he's going to be able to provide it. But I do think the Whitecaps had a lot of going for them in the opener. They'll be able to clean up a couple things defensively. And so I think, yeah, 1-1 one, one draw where everyone walks away reasonably happy with a point, and, and we move on to week three, basically. Am I allowed to use the same prediction? Because that's pretty much where I was leaning for i was thinking, yeah i think like, you, you're allowed to do or... whatever you like if, if you think that's the correct prediction <laughs> you go with it yeah i mean i hate doing it but it's one where i just think the white caps will clean up defensively i don't think they allowed the same mistakes that two weeks ago especially if laborda slots back in kubas keeps playing well but i want to say san jose will score goals but the white caps again shown well defensively this preseason i can't see why they wouldn't go back to it despite some old habits it's one where the goals, it's going to be tough on the road against the Luchi Gonzalez team. So, yeah, I'd say like 1 1 is a very fair result to put the money on. Maybe that's the kiss of death. We're going to see a win either way because when, whenever we predict the same, that's usually bad news. So, we should have known as soon as we both predicted white caps wins at RSL, which again, shout out to RSL 13 of their last 14 opening games, they've gotten points or something. No, 14 of their last consecutive opening game sorry 13 of those 14 on the road rsl is just weird like that like they they, they they're they a weird team like this is a team that you'll watch all year not be impressed by underlying numbers aren't great you look at the players and then just you forget demir krylak is freaking demir krylak and then they just make the playoffs every year uh some good goalkeeping and solid defending like they're a weird team so maybe we we just we, we were thrown off by them, but I think we have the no our, our you know our finger on the pulse a little more about what San Jose is about. So I'd say yeah, one one. We'll see if that ages a little better than our last takes. Yeah, absolutely. Cue the the four three bar burner. It'll it'll happen for sure. Okay, one one last thing before we sign off here. I just wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, Alex, I know you were at the match for the Whitecaps, so you didn't experience the Whitecaps specifically in this format but uh thoughts on apple tv opening weekend and then i guess secondarily this kind of ties in with apple tv for me thoughts on the turf at bc place because it looked terrible on the broadcast and this is only year two for that turf and i just i don't know i think it's a story worth monitoring as the season goes on let's just say i'm counting down the days i think it's around 720 days you might ask what the heck is 720 days it's the start of the 2025 season what's so important about 2025 grass comes in ahead of the 2026 men's world cup it's just one where there's just something that that doesn't pass the smell test about this turf to be honest because i've actually had a chance to play on it i, I participated in a charity tournament 
And that stuff is weird, man. It doesn't bounce properly. You ping these balls and it like dies sometimes and it bounces. It's long. The pellets are like more aggravating than than usual. I think of a moment, funnily enough, at Friday training because I went to Whitecaps training and Yohi Takoka, who I imagine in Japan's played on a range of good grass and turf fields. There's something where a ball bounced to him and he was like, he reached out his hands to gra- grab the ball and it just died like two feet under his hands. He was like looking at us like, what, what have I signed up for? Like, what is this turf? And I just think it, there's just so many abnormalities about the turf itself. And then it just, I, I get that doesn't look great. And like the fact that it, like if it played great and looked ugly, fair, like Portland's turf doesn't look cutest on the TV. It's like a really mid dark green, even the like Sounders, Turf has never looked great, but those turfs have played well. It's one of those where you don't care what it's going to look like. Turf will look ugly. Heck, there's ugly grasses that play well. But I just think the fact that it looks so ugly on TV and fans are complaining and it looks like it was off-putting the way the light picked up and that it doesn't play well, it's just one where it's like, man, you count down the days to get rid of it. Like, great that it gives the Whitecaps an advantage and they're used to these bounces, but it just seems like one where... It almost feels like it would benefit the Whitecaps game to have a, just a clean, simple, fast-playing turf. So it's hilarious that this one is a little longer and a little slower. Well, that's what I was going to say is they were commenting on the broadcast, the the longer length and the the way it's sort of, you know, some balls bounce dead and, and it's kind of slow. And it's, man, everything the Whitecaps have been doing the last couple seasons to try to play Vanny Sartini's ideal style sounds like the exact opposite of that. Like, okay, if you were in... <laughs> You know the Brexit four four two. I could understand why that turf Let would be ideal. Exactly, but they're they're not trying to play that style. So, uh, yeah, visually unappealing, annoying to play on, and not suited to the team style. I think that's just uh, uh, quite quite typical for for some of the things in this organization over the years. And uh, yeah, made me chuckle a little bit. But in terms of Apple TV. I mean, the I have to give a hat tip to the quality of the stream itself. I mean, um, without you know, without turning this into like a Linus Tech Tips episode or anything like that. Like, it's not just about whether it's 720p or 1080p. The bit rate matters too. Like the actual, you know, kind of quality of that feed. And it's like Apple, obviously, they're tech giants. They have the technology to make this kind of stuff happen at a high level. And so that part of the experience was really good. Uh, we were saying before the show, I think the thing that they're going to be a little bit behind on is just their their understanding of providing like a sports streaming platform because they do lots of tech stuff, but they don't provide sports streaming. And I think they're just little little parts of the UI experience, little parts of even the the pre and post match stuff where it's like, okay, they're they're still getting up to speed with like professionally covering sports and that's because all of this has come together so quickly so last minute it's going to take a little bit of time but it's nice that all the infrastructure feels like it's there and it also seems like with apple if they want to just like flip the switch and say oh you want to do it this way or we should do it this way it feels like next week they'll just like make that change there's no hesitation there's no um oh that's going to cost too much money like if it's if it's going to make the product better i get the sense that they're just going to make the changes that need to be made. So um, yeah, I think overall a positive start for like a week one launch with no with no precursor or soft launch, they did about as good as could have been expected. Yeah, I think it's something where, look, it's week one, there's going to be kinks, like some of the audio wasn't great and the games I watched 
of course I was at, at BC place and I heard, you know, some stuff like color grading wasn't always on and audio and, you know, little details like on demand had hiccups and et cetera. Hot, hot Those mics, things, couple occasions. Like that stuff will be fixed. That's like little producer details. What I liked about it is that you can feel the ambition. And I think that's important to note because there's been a lot of time where streaming deals come into place and it just feels like it's a, it's like a transaction, if that makes sense. Like I think of NHL on ESPN, like people like, Ooh, NHL is on ESPN now. And you hear all these reviews about how they don't care. They put these mediocre commentators. They haven't innovated anything. Like, it's just like, Oh, we have hockey on ESPN. And what's nice is that MLS on Apple feels like a genuine investment. And I say that because you notice it, you feel it. The fact that, you know, they're making an effort to draw eyeballs. All the games were free this weekend. Okay. That's a good sign. Cause Hey, Look, I won't get into the streaming versus TV debate because it's one where both sides are mostly wrong. Like it's something, it's a reality where in this world, like there, it's no one right way of watching television, sports, etc. But you know, so you can remove that from the debate. The reality is, as a streaming service, you want to bring a product to you, and I think the fact that the quality is so good is huge because what that shows is they invested in cameras, they're bringing cameras to the stadium, they're improving the feed, they're looking to do that. That's huge. There's what I like is right off opening weekend. Yeah. wasn't ambitious to have three different shows, including MLS 360, a Spanish show and all that. Yeah. But at least they're willing to go out there and be like, look, we want to give MLS fans hours of shows because before on other rights, it's like, okay, we got the MLS rights. Great. We're going to show the game. It's games at seven Oh seven. We're cutting to the feed at seven o'clock. And like for the first seven minutes, we're like showing the end of sports center or some other nonsense. Like, you know, it's something where at least you're seeing ambition in how many shows the fact they flew all the commentators in person. I think that's huge. Like it helps to have all the commentators in person. We've heard how much it makes a difference during the pandemic so that they flew all the commentators out there, that they improve the camera quality, that they, you know, they put obviously billions of dollars into the deal itself, that they're putting all this money into content, shows, talent, all that. I think that's great. And I think that's the sort of stuff that hopefully over time rises true. Because, yeah, it's going to be no overnight. Like, you're going to have to fix some of the, sh- the the shows, some of the king, some of the audio stuff. But I think it's good just to see that ambition there. And I think it's one where if they combine that ambition with feedback from fans, feedback from people in the industry, feedback on stuff, they could have a really good product because it just feels like a lot in the past there's been movements of tv deals and i've noticed you go from one platform to the other you don't feel change and sometimes that's not a bad thing you have a good product i think maybe premier league on fubo like fubo doesn't need to change anything they have one of the most marketable project or, or you know products in the world but in a league like mls where you're playing a lot of catch-up you're trying to grab global attention you're trying to market showcase your league the fact that they're doing such a great job or at least uh, this this weekend of having mics near their fans, showing their fans more, having a good visually appealing product, mm-hmm. that stuff pays off in the long term. Because I think of leagues like Serie A, which didn't do that, and they're suffering the consequences. Now it's leagues like Premier League and La Liga take them over in that regard. Yeah, very encouraged, I think, for for what we're going to see moving forward. And just, yeah, as long as that progression, that willingness to continue to invest and continue to respond to user feedback um, sort of stays prevalent. I think the the league's in a good place because the the broadcast product incredibly important to the way the league is viewed overall. And uh, and yeah, I think as we're seeing a little bit more too of you mentioned the Premier League. Like 
their broadcasts have such a cohesive identity and there's such like a, a sort of overall package that comes with watching Premier League matches. And I like that it feels already like after week one, MLS is trying to develop that same thing where I can see three, four years down the road, you turn on an MLS broadcast and it has like a distinct feel and experience that you know and recognize. And it can be sort of like for me, the Premier League broadcast is very, it's comforting. Like there's just a lot of features mm-hmm. about it that sort of make me feel at home. Like I, kn- I know what I'm getting into. And so I, I hope that MLS can get there in that sense where they create, um, where it's more than just the football, right? It's about, oh, I'm not just watching the Vancouver Whitecaps or I'm not watching the San Jose Earthquakes. I'm watching MLS soccer. And you really have a sense of what that product is going to be. So, yeah, I mean, these, these things are a while away from happening, but it's a, it's a good first step. Yeah, and these things are important. I think, again, the Premier League one is one of the most fascinating case studies. Like, if you have a chance to read, especially the Serie A, because I think the Serie A one's fa- uh, interesting, because in the 90s, Serie A was everything. Like, Zidane, Maradona, everyone played there. Like, everyone wanted to play for Juventus, Inter Milan, AC Milan, like even, you know, the Parmas back in the day, the Fiorentinas, like it was the Premier League back then. Now everyone wants to even, you know, they'll take 30 million at Bournemouth over playing for other, some of the big clubs. And like, you know, they were flashy. They had great kits. They had all the stars. They had full stadiums. And then in the 2000s and 2010s, their stadiums started to get old. Money started to go out of the game. Of course, there's the scandals that didn't help. And it was just the game felt aged out. And what's nice with MLS, you look at a lot of the things they have a lot of brand new stadiums. Why? Because it's a 27-year-old league. Like, you're not dealing with broken down, run, borderline Coliseum-style stadiums where you cuts to the crowd and there's, like, crevice. (laughs) There's a crevice in the top. Like, these are nice stadiums. You know, whether you hate it or not, the kits are flashy. They've done a great job of really adding originality, uniqueness, colors to the the kits, to to that you know, you add in those sorts of factors. It's nice that it's being played in the summer so that games are going to have great lighting for the most part, even in the, you know, the sunsets, the dusks, sort of that stuff matters. And leagues like we've seen case studies where leagues that don't pay attention, that sort of stuff don't. So it's great that MLS as a new league has that in place. So if they can find a way to showcase the colors, showcase the fact that, Hey, looks support is growing. You, you see these like these fans are doing a better and better job of coming and being loud. You can hear it on the broadcast being, you know, TIFOs. You're seeing them more broadcast. I think that sort of stuff will pay off. And hopefully MLS can really lean into that because I think that's going to be a huge difference maker that some leagues were old school and they were around for 100 leagues. So they're like, yeah, fans don't care. We're just going to broadcast the soccer, which, yeah, that's great for keeping traditional fans. But in a new era where there's so much demand for eyeballs you have to find a ways to stand out you have to find ways to catch the eyes and mls is certainly looks to be leading that way so hopefully they can uh, capitalize on that all right alex well any any final thoughts here before we sign off i think that's pretty comprehensive we we went back to rsl talked about some of the things we'd already written on commented on during the week prepped a little bit for san jose and yeah i'm just looking forward to more whitecaps football i mean as uh I'll say kind of what I said off the top. It was great to see so much engagement, interaction again in the product after what felt like a very quiet preseason on that front. I think a lot of people, you know, February is maybe a little early to get into whitecaps for some, but it was nice to see uh, so many, as you said, familiar faces, familiar voices, uh, familiar avatars on Twitter back in action. So uh, looking forward to more of that. 
yeah, I guess uh, pretty much for me, pleasure as always to 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 have another episode of the third sub podcast. Find me on Twitter at Alex Kongeruzic at BTS Fan City, etc. etc. All all that will be on my Twitter. Uh, and I just yeah look forward to keeping up with the season. Just nice to have MLS back. Just felt right to be tapping into my Montreal's, Toronto's, peeking in around the league. Got to watch Colorado, Seattle. You know, got to watch it. You know, a bit of Orlando, for example, Portland. It's fun. It's but it's just nice to have that all back on the dial. And can't wait to to dive into that. Lots to follow. Lots of great storylines. Lots of Canadians. If you're, that's your thing. So uh, just looking forward to, to all that. And of course, we'll be back every week chatting uh, about the Whitecaps. So uh, hopefully they have a better showing uh, San Jose. Because look, whether or not uh, the San Jose game itself is important, of course it is. Uh, but Champions League right around the corner. So any good momentum cannot be bad at all. So something to look forward to. Absolutely. You can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at a6forever.com. You can find our podcast at The Third Sub on Twitter. And, oh, no, Third Sub Pod on Twitter and The Third Sub on Instagram. Gosh, now I'm now I'm second-guessing myself, but okay. Well, you know, those two tags, those two handles, you can figure it out. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll chat again soon.